Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. This is from Acts chapter 9, verses 32. So if you have a Bible in your pew or you want to look it up on your phone, um, by all means. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. And there he found a man named, okay, I'm going to say Aeneas because I do not know how you say this name. So uh, there he found a man named Aeneas, great, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up, and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. And she always did good. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. And Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. And turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Now, we're a few months into our study of Acts, which is called Fulfilling Spirit, How Jesus' Promise of Witness is Coming True in Us. And it has been a great series so far. And if you're just joining us at this At this point, there's a couple of pieces of context that I think we should remember together. So first of all, that the entire book of Acts, all 28 chapters of it, need to be read in light of Jesus' words to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus had been crucified and raised to life and had been appearing to the disciples for 40 days. Just before he's lifted up into the sky and out of sight, He tells them something about what's coming. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so as we read every story that comes after that, we're watching to see how that promise is coming true. We're watching for the places where the Holy Spirit shows up and gives power to women and men who are followers of Jesus. We're watching for the progression of witness as the message about Jesus moves out from Jerusalem toward the ends of the earth. 
And we watch for how that was happening in these Acts stories, partly because we want to understand the history of our faith, but also because it teaches us the patterns, the movements and the rhythms of the Holy Spirit himself. Because it's the same Spirit that is working among us as believers today. And this promise of Jesus is still coming true in us. If only we would see it. So places where the Holy Spirit shows up and gives power and the progression of witness out to the ends of the earth, that's what we're going to look for in today's story too. Well, let's observe the story. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. So we're back to learning about Peter's part of the story. We've been with Paul for a couple of weeks. And Peter, of course, was one of those original 12 disciples who were following Jesus. And he was always kind of a loose cannon. Um, But he's risen to prominence since the Holy Spirit came upon them. He's increasing in wisdom and providing leadership for the church. And he's heading out to Lydda today. And so here's a map for you. It's not too terribly far away. You can see Jerusalem in the middle there um, near the Dead Sea. And he's heading out to Lydda. And actually this map shows, um, the like, like it's a map of the last several stories that we've learned, right? The last week we were talking about Paul, who was converted on the road up to Damascus. So that's the purple line. And then the week before that we were talking about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And that's the dotted orange line. And today we're on the red line with them. Peter. And of course, we can't forget that the reason that Peter is traveling is because all the believers were scattered out from Jerusalem. Do you remember that? I mean, they're not scattered because they have such a good strategic plan for church planting. It's because Saul was chasing them down and murdering followers of Jesus. And his hunt came to a head in Jerusalem when he killed one of their leaders, Stephen, and thousands of believers fled out of the city, like ran for their lives. And so now there are pockets of believers all over the country. And as people settle into new places and begin to rebuild their lives, they're also talking about Jesus. And more and more people are becoming followers and being baptized. And I think that persecution and running That would have been traumatic and terrifying. I never want to minimize that. And yet, from our perspective, so many years later, we can see this incredible thing that they were, in fact, being witnesses of Jesus as they moved out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and then out toward the ends of the earth. And that horrible event, when Stephen was martyred, was actually a catalyst for mission, a sign that Jesus is fulfilling his promise of witness. Okay, well now we're back with Peter. And so Peter's job in that moment just has got a heck of a lot more complicated, right? Because first he was leading this group of about 120 people in Jerusalem. It's about how many people are here today. That's We can imagine that. But then it starts to expand and all of a sudden he's leading like thousands of people and they're, and it's way more complicated. There's, there's, um, new, uh, like new departments for food distribution and for the charitable donation of property and, and there are 
outposts spread all over. And so Peter's on his way out to visit. He's doing a little tour. And when he arrives in Lydda, he meets this man, Aeneas, a paralytic who has been bedridden for eight years. Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately he got up and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw and turned to the Lord. It's a great story. Peter is there visiting the saints, the believers. But um, Aeneas himself isn't described as a believer, actually. And it would have been tough for him to have become a believer in Jerusalem. He couldn't have been there, probably, if he'd been bedridden for eight years. Um, I mean, he could have heard about Jesus from someone coming out. But my guess is that he wasn't a follower yet because Peter is so specific about telling him, Jesus Christ heals you. He wants to make sure he knows and that everyone who's watching or hears the story knows exactly who is responsible for that healing. And it works. Aeneas gets up and walks out. What an amazing thing to witness. And everyone is talking about it. And the people in the town and the town nearby come and see him and they turn to the Lord. That quick story, like it's two verses long, it's so quick. But it shows both the power of the Holy Spirit on Peter and the witness of Jesus moving forward. Now while that's all taking place, something else is going on in the nearby town of Joppa. So here's Joppa on the map. It's like the next stop. There's a woman there, she is a believer, and her name is Dorcas, that's, that's right, but we'll probably call her Tabitha, so it's less distracting for us. Um, and there's quite a bit of information about Tabitha in the story. We learn that she was always doing good and helping the poor. And it seems that she would regularly make robes and clothing for widows who I imagine were not able to pay her very much, certainly not what they were worth. And while Peter is over in Lydda, Tabitha got sick and she died. And the community washed her body and they laid her out in an upstairs room as was their custom. And some of the believers heard that Peter was nearby so they sent for him and he came. Now I wonder, I wonder what they were hoping for when they sent for Peter. I mean maybe they sent for him early when she was still only sick but I think the author would have mentioned that. Maybe Tabitha knew Peter, and so they thought he'd like to be there. Maybe it's that he was really their first pastor, right, in Jerusalem before they fled. And in times of sadness and pain, it helps to have someone you know and love. Anyway, he comes and they take him upstairs to see the body. And all these widows are gathered around him, um, weeping, and they're showing him the clothes that Tabitha made. And what a beautiful testimony to her life and work. You know, like at a funeral when friends and family bring pictures and mementos and set them out as a tribute to who that person was. Well, Peter does a strange thing. He sends everyone outside, all these grieving people, and then he turns toward, and the text is so specific about this, turns toward the dead woman. And he says, Tabitha, get up. And she opens her eyes and he takes her by the hand and helps her up. 
Now, I just want to pause for a moment and pay attention to how incredibly strange and awesome this is. I mean, it's one thing to read about a healing. You know, Aeneas' story is one thing, and it's a great thing. But um, we've, we've heard about a fair number of healings so far. You know, Peter does that a lot. It's kind of his thing now. But we have not heard about Peter being able to bring anyone back from the dead. To be fair, Jesus did that a few times, but like a few, right? A very few times. It was not a regular thing. Although, actually, the story with uh, Peter and Tabitha is remarkably similar to the story where Jesus brings Jairus' daughter back to life. And if you were in a Mark study a couple of years ago, you'll remember how much time we spent on that story. And it is similar. There's a lot of things. This healer gets sent for when he's in a nearby town. He has to come. And when he, come, when he comes, he's led in to see the deceased. There's a big crowd of mourners in both stories, and all, they all get put outside. And then the healer speaks to the girl or the woman and then takes her by the hand and helps her up. And if you will just permit me to geek out here for one second. Uh, in the story with Jesus, the author tells us what he says to Jairus' daughter. And he tells us both in Greek, which is translated to English for us, and also in Aramaic. Right. So you'll remember this from reading the Gospels. He says, little girl, arise, or in Aramaic, uh, talitha kum. And in this story, the author is really careful to tell us the woman's name in Aramaic, which is Tabitha, and in Greek, which is Dorcas. So both languages and both stories. And here's what's interesting. In Aramaic, the words these two healers spoke to the girl or the woman would differ only by one single letter. Talitha kum and Tabitha kum. Isn't that neat? What a weird and wonderful way to link those two stories together. Anyway, if you like stuff like that, then there's a fun little Easter egg for you. And if you could care less, then just ignore the rest of us. Um, it's, but the important part is that Peter, or rather the Holy Spirit's power in Peter, allows him to raise this woman from the dead. She opens her eyes and looks at him and then stands up. And then Peter calls everyone back in and he presents them, their beloved Tabitha, alive and well. And here's the final sentence of Tabitha's story. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. And notice how similar it is to the final sentence in Aeneas' story. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turn to the Lord. The culmination of both stories, the wrap-up, is that many people come to faith in Jesus. That's what the author wants us to know at the end. That's what the story is for. Peter is so careful to tell Aeneas that it's Jesus Christ who's healed him, so that he can be a witness to that himself. And in Tabitha's case, he calls in this group of believers and widows and I, I wonder whether he distinguishes between the believers and the widows because maybe not all of the widows were believers yet themselves. 
I mean, it could very well be that Tabitha was a committed person to Jesus, compassionate and generous, and she gave to them and helped them, although they had not yet adopted her faith. I'm speculating on that, of course. Maybe they were believers, maybe they weren't. But if they were not, I bet they came to faith that day. And I'll bet they share it with everyone they know. And um, it's hard for me here, you guys, because there is a very easy joke to make about how much groups of women gossip. You know, it's a really easy joke, and I'm trying not to make it because I hate those kinds of stereotypes. But uh, this is a group of women who were involved, right? Like, they are all over Peter to show him the clothes and tell him the stories about Tabitha. And my guess is that once they see her alive... These women were excellent witnesses throughout the whole town, right? They are going to get the news out there. Okay. Well, last week, Tom was teaching about the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. And at the end of that message, he said, Salvation is never only for us. It is also always for others. Uh, And that is a tough statement for an individualistic culture to take in. We wrestled with that at my small group on Wednesday night, trying to sort out, like, how do we live into the idea that our salvation is for other people? And this week, I'm going to offer a very similar idea, that our healing is never only for us, but also for others. A lot of us uh, know Bill Plant really, really well. You might know him as Captain Bill or Papa, and if you're pretty new, you might not have met Bill yet because he got sick very suddenly and very seriously in the summer. And he lost the use of his legs, and then they found cancer metastasized to several secondary uh, sites in his body. And by September, Bill was so weak that we all thought he would only have days left. And the home care nurses and his doctor agreed, and the family all came, and they made him comfortable, and everybody said what they needed to say. And then this miracle happened. Day by day and week by week, uh, Bill lived. And he started getting stronger. And he started being able to swallow again. And he ate fried chicken and birthday cake. (laughs) You know, that's that's a good choice if you haven't eaten for a while. And then he sat up and he started exercising to strengthen his feet and his legs. And then he was able to sit in a chair. And I understand that he's zipping around his house in a wheelchair now. And every day, as people come to visit, you know what Bill talks about? Some of you have been there. Jesus, (laughs) right? He does. He reads scripture and he sings and he laughs with his friends and he prays with everyone who comes. And watching this journey that Bill has been on, I am so overwhelmed by the goodness of Jesus. I can't imagine actually what it would have been like to see Aeneas go from completely paralyzed to upright and walking in 10 seconds. Like, I just can't imagine, because watching Bill follow that path over a period of several months is blowing my mind. And, you know, 
everyone was ready to say goodbye. I mean, like not ready, because you're never exactly ready, but um, we were praying for healing, of course, but praying humbly that God would do what he knew was best. And the family was prepared to accept death. And I love Bill, and so was I. And in my heart, the whole time, all I kept thinking was, oh, Jesus, how sad. How sad for us as a church, as a body of believers, to lose Bill, who is such an inspiration and a shepherd to all of us. And I'm so glad that God, in his wisdom, saw fit to return Bill to us for a little while. I'm so glad for the testimony that that will be to the church and the people who will come to faith, I believe, as a result of Bill's witness in their lives. It's hard to trust that God knows what's best when we're about to lose someone we love. Everything gets fuzzy for us, and we feel desperate, and we want healing more than we want anything else, so we can keep them close for a while. God is always working to fulfill this promise that Jesus made. He's always moving us to be his witnesses, to help people come into relationship with him, to reconcile the world to himself. And as believers, we believe that and we agree with it. And on good days, we might even remember that that's what we're supposed to be about. But the purpose gets fuzzy when someone we love is sick or dying. But it does not get fuzzy for God. Three weeks ago in my small group, uh, my friend Chuck asked if we would consider praying for him. And not just... Yeah, that's right. Not just the normal kind of prayer at the end of the group when we mention all the concerns, but instead he wanted us to listen to his story and lay hands on him and pray for his healing. Um, Because over the past several months, uh, Chuck has been losing pieces of his memory. Names and nouns, the labels for things kind of disappear and leave him scrambling mid-sentence to describe something to you. And it's kind of like a game of verbal charades for a minute. And he is a good sport about it. right? If you meet Chuck, when you introduce yourself, he will immediately remind you that there is no way he'll ever be able to remember your name. And he handles it with grace and humility, but it's exhausting to do that. And so he asked us to pray for healing. And the following week we did it. He sat in the middle of the room and we all laid hands on him and we read scripture and poured oil on his head and asked God to restore his mind. I've been asked to pray for healing lots of times. And I always believe that God can do it. But sometimes I have this visceral sense deep in my body, that God wants to do it. And I had that on Wednesday. And I just want to say, like, the the signs of that are different for everybody, so if you don't have the same experiences as me, that's okay. But um, for me, there was immediately a sense of a promise out of Scripture that that I felt was for Chuck. 
and um and there were tears I was crying and and there was this like pressing of heat across the back of my shoulders and neck and heat is often um one of the indicators that the spirit's power is present to heal now chuck didn't immediately have his memory made intact um and i'm curious to see how this will unfold over the next few weeks but i hope god heals him not just for Chuck, although, you know, I love you. <laughs> um, but because Chuck, over the last two years, has, be, has come to such a profound commitment to Jesus that if you knew him before, you almost wouldn't recognize him now. You ask him to tell you his story, and he will. And in fact, if you ask him almost anything, I can almost guarantee that he will find a way to tell you how he has come to faith in Jesus. And I remember when I came here meeting this strong and professional and dignified, if a tad gruff, gentleman who you would not want to cross. And he and I were recalling last week uh, this uh, fairly public argument that some of you might recall that we had in a large group Bible study once, almost three years ago, where Chuck was insistent that that particular study was a waste of his time, and he wanted to tell the whole group. And I was insistent that he stop making a big scene, and that he should give it at least one more try. Um, and you can imagine how that went between the two of us. It was it was a fun day for everybody. Um, but here's the important part. He came back. And over the next two years, through an alpha course and some deep personal love and loss and a profound experience of confession and repentance and his baptism and a commitment to scripture and prayer, well, that gruff man is gone, isn't he? And in his place is this kind and joyful and generous, affirming, light-hearted man And he loves Jesus and he loves people and he's learning all the time. And it is an incredible story of conversion. A conversion that I believe has not only been for Chuck, but also for many, many people around him. And so I hope that God will heal him. I believe that God wants to heal him because I can only imagine How powerful a story of concrete personal healing will be when it is entrusted to Chuck to use to witness to the power of Jesus. Just like it is with Bill, graciously brought back from the very edge to encourage the believers and call other people to faith. Now, there's a little trap here that I want to point out um, as we consider this. If we come to believe that healing is used to help others, right, that our healing is also always for others, it can be tempting to start thinking, I better get better at evangelizing so that God will heal me if I get sick. Right? Like you can imagine how it could go that way. Or like, or that we start thinking, I'm not being healed. I must not be valuable enough to God. So I just want to say, no. That's not how it works. It's not that. It's not that, it's not that God only heals people who He wants to use in that way. It's 
Instead, that God is using everything that takes place, whether it's sickness or healing, death or life, for his ultimate purpose in the world. Jesus is using every situation to bear witness to himself. And our job, this is hard, our job is to cultivate what's sometimes called a holy indifference. And it doesn't mean that we're indifferent in the way that we don't care what happens, we don't care about anything. It's not that. A holy indifference means that we are so deeply committed to God's plans that we don't care which path he asks us to walk so long as it moves his plans forward. And we trust that he knows which path is better. When we are so committed to what Jesus is doing, we become willing to live like Tabitha did or to die like Stephen did. If only it will help move the gospel forward in the world. It's important to remember that God uses both a tragic death and a miraculous healing and everything in between, both in Acts and in our lives today, to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit and to witness to Jesus. And so I want to tell you one more story. Um, When I was 18... I was in my last year of high school, and my youth pastor's wife, Sandra, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And for most of us in that youth group, that was our first experience with someone close to us being that sick. And we helped out where we could, um, and we prayed a lot. And you know what? She beat it. And it really deepened the faith of our youth group to watch God answer our prayers like that. And then a year later, the cancer came back, and Sandra went downhill really fast. And she died in January of my first year of university. And her daughter was two years old. And I went home for the funeral, and most of my friends were there. And it felt unreal to us because we had seen God heal her once, and we assumed that he would do that again. And it rocked everybody. And at the funeral, Sandra's best friend gave the eulogy, and she stood up at this pulpit, and she said, last week in the hospital, I asked Sand what she wanted me to tell you today. And she didn't hesitate for a second. She said, tell them I didn't know God could be this real. Tell them I am seeing Jesus. He speaks to me. He speaks to me in full sentences. And it is the most beautiful thing. And that funeral was 20 years ago. And I have never forgotten those words. The power of the Holy Spirit was at work in Sandra, you guys. At work in her life and in her death. And in both, she was a powerful witness to the good news about Jesus. It's hard, though. This is a tough topic. And if you are exploring faith or you just came to visit today, uh, I'm so sorry, because did you ever jump in the deep end? (laughs) Um, Because we, all of us, every single one, we know someone who we wish would be healed. 
And when we read the stories in Scripture, it's easy to see just those stories, just the healing. And sometimes it gives us hope that it can happen, and sometimes it makes us angry that it doesn't. And both of those are hard. But as we grow in our faith, as we start to mature, I think we have the opportunity to see from a different perspective. We can see situations like Tabitha's, like Bill's and Chuck's and Stephen's, and evaluate them not based on whether we personally like the outcome. right? And that's the hard part. Evaluate them not based on whether we like the outcome, but on the two most important things. Did they reveal the power of the Holy Spirit? And did they bear witness to Jesus? And if they did, I want to suggest that we can celebrate any outcome. How are we going to apply that to our lives? Well, I'll make two suggestions. Um, First of all, Take a few minutes sometime today and reflect on times when you have seen or heard about healing. Because you probably have and you probably forgot about it. That happens to me all the time. I forget that something took place because it's not really normal. It doesn't come up in conversation all the time. Reflect on a time when you've seen or heard about healing and ask yourself, how did that bear witness to Jesus? Second, let's try to cultivate this holy indifference where we're willing to do anything to see any outcome that would move the mission forward. And the first step can be as simple as starting your prayers by asking, Holy Spirit, would you show me what to pray for? And then listen in silence for just a couple of minutes to let the Spirit lead you. And even if it's contrary to what you would normally ask for. You can acknowledge that and then still, out of obedience, pray the way the Spirit actually led you. I think you'll find that you're both surprised by what he reveals and also by how often you start to see him fulfilling his promise of witness all around you. I'll pray for us. And then the worship team's going to come back up. Jesus, you are the ultimate healer. But you are a healer in a bigger way than we know. You are healing the whole world, the whole of humanity. And so we pray for the grace of holy indifference. We pray for the grace to receive your leading and your your intention and your purpose. We pray for the grace to have our eyes open to see how the situations in our lives bear witness to your goodness and to the power of your spirit. We pray that you would bring healing among us in all of the places that we see, in all of the places that each of us are longing for. And that you would do that for our salvation and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey. Whether you're finding Jesus for the first time 
or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.